Welcome to The Session, a podcast about psychology and mental health in the Frum community. I'm Dr. Ben Goldman. We find ourselves in the month of Av, a time during which we're called upon to be mema'atin b'simcha, to reduce our feeling of joy and experience mourning for the temple, for the Beis HaMikdash. But we all know that changing our feelings at will is not an easy task. I've treated people who've worked for years just to not get totally overwhelmed by their feelings, let alone change them at will. In this episode, we'll explore the psychological aspects of mitzvahs in general and of the emotional demands of the month of Av in particular. We'll have the great privilege of discussing these ideas with Rabbi Moshe Weinberger. It's going to be interesting. I'm glad you're listening. When I was in graduate school, one of my classmates was treating Yeshiva Bacher, who was struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. This Bacher couldn't stop himself from constantly being afraid that he would have an immodest thought about a woman. He developed various mental rituals where he had to think specific things every time he experienced that obsessive fear of an improper thought, sort of to undo the possibility that he might have that thought. And as you can imagine, it was getting in the way of his functioning. He could barely learn, barely daven, or do anything else. So my classmate was taking a course at the time with a professor who is a well-known clinical researcher, and he had asked the professor about the case, but the answer that he got didn't completely sit well with him. The professor told my classmate that, as far as he understood, religions tell people how to act, but they don't tell people how to think and feel. So he advised my classmate to help his client understand that. So what my classmate wanted to know was, is that true? Does Judaism only tell people how to act, but not how to think and feel? And of course, I said, absolutely not. A Jew's inner experience is an essential component of his or her service of God, and it shapes every action that he or she performs. I'll tell you how I suggested he handle treating the yeshiva bachar but I'll save that for the end of the show. For now, I want to focus on this. Chazal tell us that Rachmana Libabai, God desires our hearts. We're expected to channel our emotions into the mitzvos we do and the tefillos we say. We also have mitzvos that relate specifically to our emotions. For example, loving Hashem, which is one of the six mitzvos that we're commanded to perform continually. But we're a scroll-down generation. Sure, we can get choked up by some clickbait video of a dog getting crutches, or we can have our heart warmed by pictures of a goat wearing a sweater. But creating those feelings on our own, in a way that's lasting and meaningful, that's a totally different story. And when it comes to the feelings in the month of Av, we're talking about negative, painful emotions. So how are we supposed to know how to do that, how to create that on our own? Personally, this is something that I struggle with every year around Tishavav. I know at least I want to feel the emotions of the day. I want to feel the pain in the morning of Yerushalayim. And that's something. And I daven every year to please Hashem, let me feel more this year than I did last year. Let me understand a little more about what it was like and what I'm missing. But that never feels like enough. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. 
So to talk about that, I reached out to Harav Moshe Weinberger. He's someone whose life is devoted to inspiring Jews in their service of God. Rav Weinberger is the founding rabbi of Congregation Eish Kodesh in Woodbury, New York, and he's the mashpia at Yeshiva University. His teachings draw on the writings of the great Hasidic masters, the teachings of the Arizal, and other works of Jewish thought. Rav Weinberger is the author of numerous books and articles, including a multi-volume work on Rav Kook's Orosa Tshuva, and a collection of teachings from his Shul's Hilulas for its namesake, the Piazetz Nerebbe, Rav Klonimus Kalan Shapiro, entitled Warmed by the Fire of the Eish Kodesh. It's my pleasure to welcome Rav Weinberger to the session. Rav Weinberger, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We've been talking about the role of emotion in doing mitzvot. And I wanted to ask the Rav a two-part question. First, we know that there are some mitzvot that are specifically about the way we're supposed to feel. For example, v'samachta b'chagecha, we're supposed to be happy on the holiday of Sukkot. But most mitzvot focus on speech or action. So what is the role of emotions in those other mitzvot where emotion is not the primary focus? The other question is, how do we do that? How is a person supposed to marshal the emotions to be able to just feel a certain way at a certain time based on whatever mitzvah they're doing? Look, in general, there's a question regarding the kavana, the intent that is minimally required when it comes to performing mitzvahs. So there's a basis uh, in halacha that requires a person having a minimal intention that I am that I am now about to perform an act that is commanded uh, by by the Creator, and that, that I am doing in accordance to the will of my, of the one who created me. That's a basic intention, a basic kavana, a level of intention and being present. That is something which is in halacha. That's a, that's that's something which is a, which is required. As far as as far as feeling in general. Uh, and, and how to feel and what is expected of us and so on and so forth. This goes back to the question of, of emuna, of faith, of what is the nature of, of one's relationship with Hashem. There is a way to believe that is based entirely upon the intellect, on what I know to be true, because either A, I received this from my parents or grandparents, or B, it makes sense to me. It makes sense that there's a creator that world didn't come on, uh, about on its own. Those, uh, those um, uh, thoughts, as important as they are, uh, very, very rarely will be able to energize the person to have emotions and feelings when it comes to doing this. It's a lot of the problems that people have, and you see this especially with the kids in yeshiva, is the fact that their parents told them to the, to do something, or that something is true and something is authentic, that might carry them through to to uh, perform in a rote way the uh, the rituals of Yiddishkeit. But to be on fire, to to feel um, the the significance of this moment in, in, in what I'm doing, that's very that's very rarely going to um, be there when it comes to just listening to my parents or even the fact that it makes sense to me. What this mm-hmm. really does, what this does depend upon is uh, a different level of amuna. It's called, uh, Haskell Lavenstein, a lot of the Siddiquim refer to this as amuna chushis. 
the same way that I, that I, if somebody asks me, do I have a, a, a leg, do I have an arm, it's not that I, my parents told me that I have those organs, or it's not that I, it makes sense to me, otherwise how do I get anywhere or hold anything, it's that I feel those organs, that they're part of me. When a person feels, uh, when a person feels that Hashem's book is, is the essence of who he is, that the creator is not some, some uh, big wizard on the throne in heaven, but rather is the essence of my very existence, it's who I am. Because in each and every one of us is God himself. So if a person does not have that awareness, uh, it's very, very hard to muster up strong emotions. There could be a, a little bit of inspiration here or there if he learns the significance of this myth and thinks about it. But if he doesn't have a relationship, a deep relationship, a personal relationship with the Creator, it's very hard that there should be strong emotions. So the Rav is talking about a level that takes a huge amount of work and preparation for a person to bring themselves up to. Yeah, absolutely. I say this all the time. I get, I get calls on a regular basis from Rabbanim from different uh, schools all over the world about how can we uh, help the davening. I'd like to help the davening in, 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 in my shul. Um, and, and, I, and, and my response to that is always, it's not a matter of having just a, a day, you know, one Sunday, uh, a seminar, uh, explaining the ins and outs of the Siddur, of prayer, even though that's very, very beautiful and it's very important. I love that. And we should always be learning these things. But if people don't know who they're talking to, or they don't feel that they have any personal relationship with who they're talking to, regardless of how intellectualized their understanding is of the, of the treeless, of the davening of the Siddur, they're not going to, they're not going to, there's not going to be really much emotion, any emotion at all. So, what we need to, what we need to work on always uh, and this is not this is not something that's new. This is what the Chavos of Avodah speaks about in the introduction. It's what Ms. Silverstar was talking about in the in his introduction. What we need to what we need to work on is is um, feeling this uh, deep relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu and developing an amuna, a, a, a type of faith that is that is not based just upon tradition or common sense or uh, reason, but rather uh, an amulet that's based upon based upon the, the reality of God being within me and God being a part of who I am. Like Dovamel said, Surah Levavi, Chelki, that Dovamel saw Hashem as being the essence of who he is, the heart of who he was. The heart is, is not just an organ, it's not just a part of the body, but it's uh, according to the understanding of, of the Torah, and the heart has this hush, this ability to sense that reality of God's presence. It's not just a matter of, uh, of the mind and of reason. So the Rav is talking about a level that takes a long time to reach. What if I'm not there yet? I'm not at a level where I have the amuna, the awareness always that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the essence of my existence. I don't feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu being completely present every time I do a mitzvah. Sometimes I just feel dry, but I want to feel it. Where can I start? A person can start in a very, very simple way. And every single time before I do a mitzvah, every single time before I do a mitzvah, I, I, I don't only rattle off some words, even if I'm from a family where I was taught to say the L'shem Yichud before a mitzvah, I don't just rattle off some words. I actually stop and I say to myself, 
I am now about to do this particular mitzvah, Kashitzivani Habore, as the one who created me, asked me and told me to do. And I believe in the Bore Olam, I believe in the Creator, and I was created to carry out His will. Even a simple exercise like that, if a person would, would make a mitzvah something which is more an act of consciousness as opposed to just doing it by rote. The person wakes up in the morning, and and when he says, Moda'ani, when he wakes up in the morning, you know, he thinks about the, the very beginning of Shohar, which is his Gabrikari, welcome to Bokal Avotas and and that I was, that uh, the reason that I am getting up this morning and the purpose of my being given life this day is to serve the Creator, is to have this relationship with the Creator. And if a person begins his day by thinking about that and by speaking about that, in a sentence or two, by just articulating that, that this is the goal and purpose of my life, then, then throughout, throughout the day, he articulates for a second or two before performing any of the misses, tips his whatever they are, so then, he elevates the mitzvah from being just a dry, meaningless ritual to being a, a, a demonstration of love, a demonstration of love, commitment, and faithfulness to the Creator. And that could change a person altogether, not just in the way that they do mitzvahs. In everything, it is davening. And, and I'm not only referring to mitzvahs that we do between ourselves and Hashem. Um, according to that result, the first thing we say before even saying Atogu, the first thing you say in the morning, Adavani, is Irene Makabala Lai Mrs. Asashal Vihapli Rachakamoka. I accept upon myself positive commandment to love each and every Jew the way that I love myself. So it's not only the it's not only the mitzvahs, uh, the rituals uh, uh, of the mitzvahs between us and Hashem, but even when it comes to something that's so simple as a mother taking care a mother taking care of a baby. You know, diapering and feeding it, it, it's 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 uh, often the women feel that these are thankless, certainly not glamorous things that we have to do. But do you imagine what it would be like if you know a woman, a mother, before she before she uh, begins to change the baby's diaper, she says she actually articulates this thought and this feeling that Hashem, you gave me this child, and you and you commanded me in your Torah. The mitzvah of loving another Jew as I love myself. And this baby that you gave me as a gift is another Jew. And this other Jew, right, I was uncomfortable. And I want to help this Jew to become comfortable. And I'm going to now perform this mitzvah of Yehafla Rehakamoha. You know how it's possible to change not only the, not only the, um, simple things in life, but even the less pleasant things in life if, if it's, if it's infused with that thought, with that, with that, with that memory of why we, why are we here and why are we doing these things? Mm-hmm. Like the Rev said, some of the things we do, we're not mindful of because they're so mundane or unpleasant. And then there's some other things that are hard for us to connect to because they're so foreign, because it's so hard for us to relate to them. I think the mitzvahs of Tisha B'Av are a really good example of that, where it's hard to connect to the churban, the destruction of a temple that I never saw. It's hard to feel feelings that are supposed to be based on a deep sense of loss that I just don't experience. What can a person do to experience Tisha B'Av in a more meaningful way? So, you know, it's an interesting thing. 
um, in, in uh, the 24th, I believe is the 24th Kina Lamentation, we say on the day of Atishvav, we say the words, Al-Churm Besamekdish Kihuras V'chihudosh, Hespoi B'chal Shana V'shana Mispei Chadash. Then every year, every year there's a new eulogy, some, a new eulogy over the destruction uh, of the of the temple of the Besamekdish. What does that mean? There's a mispaid chadash. What's a mispaid chadash? What's the meaning of that? And how are we, as people who are so far removed from the temple, whose experience of Yushalayim is uh, a very cheerful and exciting one of going to the coastal or to Café Rimon or something, how are, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to feel this need to eulogize a new eulogy in, in 2017 and in, in Tavshin Ayin Zayin. So my response to that is as follows: the 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 underlying the underlying root surge of of all of the customs and requirements of mourning of Avelos come from a, a, a very simple place. It's called a broken Jewish heart. Let me explain that uh, when when we left when we were when we were spent in exile. So all of us are familiar with the uh, with the chapter in Tehillim and Psalms when we sat by the river of Bovel of Babylon and we said Eich Nashir Shir Hashem Al Advas Necha. How could I even think of singing any song of Yerushalayim while being in this foreign place? Rabbi Yudah Levi says in the, in the famous Kina of Tzion Harlus Hashali Eich Yera Liachol V'Shasos Beis Echza. How can I even eat? I can't eat. I can't drink. When I see the Jews are being tormented, the Jews are being murdered. How could I eat? Or how could I drink? The beginning of the of of all of the mourning over the temple, the destruction of Yerushalayim, comes from this feeling of how can I continue on with my life, knowing what I know, having seen what I've seen. How could I continue in a regular way? Those evolved into customs, into halachas. Rabbi Rukhala explains this in Mishnah Sahar, that it really began with the, with the, with the lay's nishpah, with, with the Jewish people being broken and un, unable to eat, and unable to conduct themselves in the same way that they always did. Something had to change because of what happened, and the calamity that took place. And these evolved into customs of mourning and so on. So what do people like us do that didn't witness these things, that didn't experience these things? So, you know, it's, an, it's a very interesting thing. When we look in the Lamentations of Tishaba, we see that aside from talking about what happened uh, with the destruction of the temple in Yerushalayim, there's some very, very personal keenness where we mm-hmm. talk about personal losses. For instance, um, what happened to uh, the Navi Zechariah, how he was murdered. What happened to the King Yoshio, there's a special kina for that. Then you have the 23rd kina. It's about the son and the daughter of Rabbi Shmuel and Elisha Korengaru. And uh, when they were um, put into the room together, and they didn't know that it was, each one didn't know that it was a brother or sister, and they were crying and so on. Uh, there are there are stories of the Crusades and what happened during that time. All of this is part of Lamentations because the Chazal really wanted to accomplish with all of this, the Tishabah, it's not necessarily that people like us can reference back to the temple. It's very hard for us to feel pain over that loss, which we're so far removed from that. And by the way, even we see that 
that uh, that by the Tzadoi themselves, for instance, the Rebbe Yudhanasi, who lived approximately 100 years after the Chorban, uh, Chazal tells us in the Medrash Eicha that he had to uh, say that they had to, he had to come up with Jehoshua's uh, teachings about the Agodas of the Chorban in order to try to get people to feel something. It was, that was 100 years after wow. the destruction. People really couldn't relate to it anymore. It's just, it just was too distant. So, so uh, certainly when we're thousands of years away, we don't, we don't have this this feeling of the of the, the pain of the destruction. However, however, what Chazal were trying to accomplish was to bring us on this one day of the year, and really throughout the entire three weeks, but particularly on Tishabah, for us, to, for our hearts, the heart that I was talking about before that we need to perform this is for the Jewish heart to, to be pierced, to be penetrated, to be broken with Jewish service. And Jewish service doesn't only mean the destruction of the temple. It means the belief that all of the things that's missing in our lives right now, the fact that there are children that are, that are not, that don't want to go up keeping misses, the fact that there are Jews that are marrying out, the fact that there is so much sickness and illness, the fact that there are so many divorces, that there's so much service. All of this stems from the, from that, from that, um, uh, destruction of the Besamekdash from the uh, the apparent apparent disappearance of of the Shekhinah from our lives. That's where everything comes from. Like Chazal tells us that that uh, in, that Rabbi Gamliel that Rabbi Gamliel would hear a woman who had lost a child. He would hear her crying and wailing at night uh, over the loss of the child. And Rabbi Gamliel would think of the of the Chor Besamekdash. And he would begin to cry. And they, the students had to find another place for that woman to live because Rabbi Gamil couldn't go on living that way. He was constantly crying, listening to this woman. He would remember the destruction of the temple. And what that means on a deeper level is the crying of a woman who lost a child is rooted, goes back to the, to, to that, to that a terrible tragedy of, of the Chorban. So what we're living through right now in our lives, uh, each person with his own individual his own individual tragedies, the things that are missing uh, in, in his life. It, 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 the beginning of the beginning of that downfall was the Churm Beis Amikdus, was the destruction of the temple. The Mispeid Chadash, the new eulogy that we see every year. You see, it's interesting what's happening now. Even this 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 conversation that you and I are having and talking to Jews out there. Years ago, you didn't have all kinds of uh, seminars and special shiurim on Tishabas. You didn't have, uh, there was one I saw advertised, uh, on the, there's a big thing being, uh, I, I don't know, the different big, famous Rabbanim that are talking about the subject of the life's challenges. What does that have to do with the destruction of the temple? Why is that, why, why did Tishabas become a day of, of lectures and, 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 and a seminar instead of Jews sitting on the ground and crying? So the, the, the answer is as follows. These people are all trying to do something to open the Jewish heart, to be able to feel the pain of what's missing in our lives right now. And, and we see, I remember that, uh, that Rav Soloveitchik spoke once about how, there are Soloveitchik spoke once about how, um, um, Kiva was, went to, a, went someplace, well, it sounds like he was in North Africa. Uh, to try to, to try to arouse some support for the uh, rebellion, not the Bakufa rebellion, and uh, and the people were very cold to his uh, to his reaching out to them to join, and he and 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 he uh, spoke to them about the uh, about things in Torah. He spoke to them about the flood at the beginning of of the Torah, at the beginning of mankind, that wiped out mankind, and they didn't cry at all. They weren't moved. And then you know what happened? He spoke to them about the Tzaras of Eov. 
a, a good man for no apparent reason, lost his wife, lost his family, lost his, his wealth, lost everything. And, and, and then they all, they began to cry. They couldn't stop crying. So Soloveitchik asked, like, why is it that the story of the annihilation of mankind didn't move them? So what was it about Eov that did? Because people can be touched by and can relate to individual tragedies because we all feel that in our lives. Here you have Eov who was a very rich and a successful person with a beautiful family and suddenly he lost everything. And it's very easy for a person to be touched by a private or personal tragedy. But it's very hard to think of six million graves. It's very hard to think of, uh, uh, of something in such a, a big way. So I guess the essence of this time of the year and the Chazal we're trying to accomplish was how do we break through all of those layers of, of the layers um, of, of, of hardness, of distance, of not feeling, of not thinking about other people's sorrows? How do we break through all of that and get to that inner point of the Jewish heart so that a person is touched? He's touched, he's hurt by the suffering of other people. He's hurt by, by what's happened in Jewish history. And, and, he, and he knows and he believes that all of that, all of that goes back to, the, to that, that separation that took place, that terrible, terrible separation that took place at the time of the Chodmes and Mictus in the beginning of, of, our, of our exile. Because it depends, the, the, this time of the year depends upon a person feeling Zenogeali. This, this, this is relevant to me. Why is it that, going back to what we were talking about before, why is it that people, when it comes to mitzvahs, they don't feel anything because it's irrelevant. Davening is irrelevant. Yiddishkeit is irrelevant. Zelama Geyali. Rabbi Yucham Famir gave an example of a person, um, of a person who generally doesn't particularly care whether or not the sun is shining or it's not shining. You know, the sun is the source of our life in this world. But, Rabbi Yucham says that if a person plants some new little thing in his garden, he desperately wants the sun to shine to make sure that that's going to grow. Or if he's planning a picnic with his family, and all of a sudden he's thinking about what's going to be with the sunlight. Why is that? Because, because on that day, when he's planning the picnic, then no it touches his life. And, and the toughness of this time of the year is, is to remember that the Besamekdish ki beschayenu. It's the source of our life. It doesn't mean just a building. It means a relationship with God. And because of, because of what's happened in that relationship, because of the dislodging of Hashem from our hearts, and the disengagement that we feel, and the distance that we feel as a result of that destruction that took place in Yerushalayim and the exile, because of that, my davening is a mess. My relationship with my wife is a mess. I don't talk to my kids with feeling, with caring. I don't think of other people. I've become callous. I've become cold. My mitzvahs are empty. My life is, is empty. All of that is traced back to the, to the, to the destruction that took place by Teshuvah. Talking about yearning for Mashiach. At a time like this in Av, where we have the three weeks, we have preparation, we have Eicha, it's a time where it's on our mind. We're waiting for Mashiach is something that everybody's thinking about. But I think sometimes in our generation, we lose sight of how central yearning for the Geula is supposed to be in the life of a Jew. I mean, just one example, when the Rambam talks about Mashiach in Hilchos Malachim, he says, Anyone who doesn't believe that Mashiach is going to come, 
or someone who's not yearning or waiting for him to come. Not waiting for Mashiach is like rejecting the entire Torah. It doesn't get any bigger than that. It's the huge part of the Torah. It's, uh, it's an entire safe written by Yaakov Moshe Chalat, the book's greatest Talmud. That's on this subject of Sipili Yeshua, Sipisil Yeshua, longing for salvation. It's not, uh, it's not just an embellishment of the mitzvah of believing in Mashiach, it's at the core of the mitzvah. But if one doesn't wait, and that's really the chat in the Rambam, you just read, that it really, it really, uh, it, it's at the core of the mitzvah, that if a person is not waiting, it reflects upon a lack of belief. So it goes back to, to what, what I was saying before, that that tipia, a longing, a longing, a craving for something, is the greatest sign that it's real, that it's something which is real in your life. It's not just a symbol. It's not just uh, a ritual. It's, it's something which is real. It's real. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing my children going back to the city, Mr. Shelter Shabbos, and I'm really looking forward to seeing my children and my grandchildren. I have a tzipiyah. I'm filled with a longing to see them because they're, they're a real living part of my life. Tzipiyah Yeshua therefore means that Hashem is alive in your life. And when, and when the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Nehruas of our no longer having any suffering, of our being our, our people that is holy and that's pure in our land with the Beis HaMikdash and with the Kohen Gadol and with and with Mashiach, and, and the restoration of prophecy, and no more suffering, and no more wars, and all of that, when those, when those promises, and those beliefs, are something which are alive and real inside of a person, so then the most natural emotion is one of longing, of looking forward to, of anticipating. That's, that's something which has become very hard for Jews in our time, because, thank God, life has become much better. And my parents talked to me about what it was like in concentration camp. And even before concentration camp, where they lived in Europe, um, how life was. And we never knew from one day to the next what it was going to be. So then that longing for, for the dream of, of the fulfillment of all of the prophecies was something which was very, very real. It was very real, that longing. But look, let's face it. Life is good. And thank God, for the most part, not that people don't have problems, but for the most part, life is good. And like the, they say from one of the great the Rebbe's, that the, the, the Rebbe Bun Shishcha, that there was a, that there was a man that was, uh, that uh, he didn't show any interest in, uh, in, in, in uh, Mashiach coming and going to base and going to Yushalayim, in the conversation that they were having with the Chesidim. And the Rebbe pulled this fellow aside and he said to him, um, you know, really, so important to daven from Sheikh and to wait from Sheikh and to long from Sheikh. That will bring the Sheikh closer and will bring Gula closer. So the man just shrugged his shoulders and said, "Like, what do I, what do I want that for?" She said, "What do you mean? What do you do? You know, with all the sorrows that we have and problems that we have, and uh, you should, uh, we have to go to Yushalayim. We have to daven. The Sheikh should come. We're going to go to Yushalayim." So the man said, "Look, I have to ask my wife." And he went and asked his wife, and the wife again came back and he said the next day, my wife doesn't understand what's, the, what's so important to go to Yerushalayim. So the Rebbe said, what do you mean? We have pogroms every two weeks. There's a pogrom. What about the Cossacks? So he said, let me ask my wife. He comes back the next 
thing. And the Rebbe asked him no. So he said, and my wife said, why don't you, why don't you, why don't we dive into the Cossacks go to Yerushalayim so we could just stay here and have a peaceful life where we are in the settler right here where we are. This is pretty much what's going to come of us. You know, as long as the Cossacks aren't bothering us, you know, let them go to Yerushalayim. Let them have a temple. But uh, if I could be in my comfortable home, whether it's in the five towns, Muncie, Monroe, Crown Heights, Borough Park, Chicago, Baltimore, wherever we live, Los Angeles, if I'm comfortable and I got the new extension and the kids are doing okay, well, the you know, what do I need it for? Like, what do I have to let the Cossacks go through Simon and build a temple on I'm, I'm okay over here. So what kind of a tzipia can we have? What kind of a longing can a person have if he's satisfied with this? With this uh, very, very diminished state of army. So, but it goes back to the first thing we spoke about. If God is not alive in a person's heart, if God is not real living, breathing being in one's life, so then what do we need any of this for? Really, what do we need prophecy for? What do we need to have a share? What do we need to be, be in, in Yerushalayim? If I can go to Yerushalayim three times a year and own an apartment in Rehavi or somewhere, and, uh, you know, I can stop by every now and then, I'm fine. It goes back to what we began with. If the Rebbein does not felt, but he's just something that's a thought in a person's head, but it's not alive and there's not sepia. When, when a person really is connected to Hashem and feels a great connection to all that Hashem offers us to this world and our lives and the topless of why we were created, so then naturally it's going to be a great longing to see that happen. Rabbi Moshe Weinberger, thank you so much for speaking to us on the session and hopefully in the merit of working on our Amuna and our Kia Mitzvos and striving to feel the mourning of the Beis HaMikdash, we will all soon merit to see the building of Yerushalayim and the third Beis HaMikdash. Thank you. We should see the Chalmers in the Yerushalayim. Kalta Shkaya. We must strengthen our own, our faith, our pride. We can find the desire to love deep inside So there you have it. The key to affecting our emotions is in our thoughts. Anyone who's been in cognitive behavioral therapy knows that that's one of the basic principles of CBT. But of course, that's not new. The Rambam, in his Hilchos Yesodei Torah, writes, What's the way that a person can bring himself to feel love for God? The way to bring yourself to feel love for Hashem is to think about His world and about His wonders and about the actions that He does. So that's what we can do. We can do mitzvot mindfully. Be present as we do each mitzvah. Be aware of what we're doing. Think specifically before we do the mitzvah and as we do the mitzvah, how we're fulfilling the will of Hashem. And for Tisha B'Av in particular, we can think about how the tsaros that we all have as individuals and as a nation 
all stem from the great destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Hopefully with these tools, we can help deepen our experience of doing mitzvos and have a more meaningful experience this Tisha B'Av. I didn't forget about the story with my classmate in the Yeshiva Bacher. So let's remember, we had this Yeshiva Bacher suffering from OCD, who's so afraid that he might have an improper thought that whenever he has the fear of maybe the thought coming, he's got to do all sorts of mental rituals to undo that. So how do you treat that? Well, think about anxiety in general and anxiety in OCD, like an alarm system. When you have an alarm system in your house, you want it to be properly calibrated so it's going to go off when you have an intruder in your house, but not when a butterfly flies by. A person with obsessive-compulsive disorder is so sensitive to these anxieties that even the thought that maybe he might think about a woman is enough to send him into danger mode and set off his rituals to get rid of that anxiety. Basically, his anxiety alarm is too sensitive. So normally what you would do is take that thing that's triggering the person's anxiety and expose them to it without letting them do all the rituals that are getting in the way of their life. In this case, though, that would be pretty hard. Telling Yeshiva Bachar to go look at improper material or have improper thoughts on purpose is not exactly an appropriate treatment. So I told my classmate to speak to his patient and see how he would feel about bringing his Rav in on the process. And if the three of them together could come up with something to expose him to, that would push him enough out of his comfort zone to be an effective exposure, but also wouldn't violate the boy's moral or halacha commitments. And so the three of them sat down and came up with a great plan. The boy got a gym membership, and he went to work out in a place where there were women who were dressed less than sneers, but in a way that his rub felt comfortable with. And he forced himself to feel that anxiety of maybe I'll look or maybe I'll have an improper thought until the point where he got used to it and he didn't have to do his mental rituals anymore. Well, that's it for this first episode of the session. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at the handle at The Session Cast or our Facebook page, The Session Podcast Page. Keep an eye out for the next episode and stay in touch. Reach out on social media if you have any ideas for future episodes. And if you want to contact me directly, you can email me at doctor at bingoldman.com or check out my website at bingoldman.com. Until next time, be well.